Hello world, this is Codebreaker. I'm Ben Brock Johnson. Good satire cuts close to the bone and close to the truth. So a few weeks back when The Onion published a story with the headline, Woman Stalked Across Eight Websites by Obsessed Shoe Advertisement, Molly Mulshine started tweeting at me. Molly had just told me this story, but it was from her real life. They look like cockroaches and they act like cockroaches. Molly is talking there about a pair of sandals. Technically, I suppose they were mandals, and a man in her life wanted them, and she didn't want him to have them. The battle that ensued, that we'll get to in a moment, still haunts her. This is the fundamental trade-off of the internet. If the service is free, you are the product. On Codebreaker, we decipher our complicated feelings about technology by asking straightforward questions with a sense of humor, a sense of awe, and sometimes a sense of dread. This season, we got one question in mind, three little words. The answer doesn't always come easy. Um. Oh. Uh, um. Evil? A little, maybe, yeah. Is it evil? We are asking this question about one kind of technology in every episode. Today, we're going to hear the rest of Molly's story about the Mandals. They will be there for the rest of my life, I think. We will also hear from researchers trying to keep data tracking technology honest. Where else is data from our uh, online activities being used? And from a father who stands defiant against a piece of data that companies had no right to. She was all upset, and I'm like, Hon, what's wrong? You know, what happened? And she showed me the letter. So, data tracking. Is it evil? Hey, remember, there's a code in every one of our episodes, so listen closely. Let's get back to Molly's story. Molly is a senior digital culture editor at Tech Insider, the website we've partnered with in making this podcast. And Molly's adventure starts with a day trip that was supposed to be a nice date. We're going to Coney Island. Well, no, we're actually we're going to Brighton Beach because I like to sit on the boardwalk and eat beef stroganoff. Okay. And then we like to go to Coney Island after and, you know, go on the Tilt-A-Whirl or whatever. Right. After you eat all your beef stroganoff, yeah, we- you want to... You want to, like, yeah. throw your body around on a... Yeah. Okay, perfect. You digest on the beach for, like, a half hour in between. But right. So we're on our way there, and it, and my boyfriend is a very stylish guy, but he doesn't really do the beach thing very often. So when he does, he can get a little mixed up. So we're, we're on our A little bit confused. Way, a little confused. So we're, okay. we're on our way to the subway. Yep. And he's like, oh, I have these sneakers on. I got to get some sandals to wear to the beach. Right. And I'm like, okay. As you, as you do. As you do, yeah. So we're on our way, and we go to this store, mm-hmm. and we see these, like, oh, God, these leather Tevas, almost. They have all these straps. They're either black or brown leather. What makes them so bad in your mind? They remind me of a, a dad who gets all of his clothes at the museum gift shop. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> and I was, I was like, if you wear those... I will not be seen with you. It will be the end. Like you, so, you you were being super reasonable, right? But I also I stand by how strongly I reacted to them. You put your foot down, so to speak, yeah. about the sandals. Yeah, the sandals were never bought. I don't remember how we left it because I was kind of seeing red. It became one of those really crazy fights where it's like, why are we not engaged yet? It went so bad. 
Right, <laughs> like it right, just, right. It metastasized. Okay. So we both cooled off. We went to the beach. We enjoyed ourselves. You got your stroganoff. It was Good. ended up being a perfect day. So then the next day was Monday, and I got to work, and I'm like, I need to get a second opinion from someone to find out if these sandals were really as bad as I acted. Okay. I need to know that I didn't overreact. I told Caroline, my boss, who is also my friend, and I was like, listen, you just have to look at these sandals that Dave wanted to buy and tell me if I was in the right or not. And she's like, okay, I'm ready. So I Googled them. I found a pair, and she very quickly confirmed that I was totally right and that they were disgusting. (laughs) I was was really happy about that. I'm glad you asked the right person. Yeah. Well, no, I really think that anybody would have agreed with me. I want to see the sandals right now. Okay, let me find them. So now I'm logged into my Facebook, which is where they usually attack. Oh, this is interesting. We've got some engagement rings here. Yeah. What else? We've got... This is why this is what's so embarrassing about Facebook. Like I can't log on next to my boyfriend because he he's gonna know that I've been Googling engagement rings. Right. Yeah. So the sandals aren't the sandals are lurking right now. They're not really showing themselves. So go into the search bar on Nordstrom. Nordstrom. Okay. And then I'll type in That's the one. That's the one. It's bad. It's bad. But don't you think this one is worse? Oh, definitely. But this is still, I see what you're saying. Yeah, like it's... Like, he's like, yeah. But the problem was you you had Googled them, mm-hmm. which means now the internet knows mm-hmm. and assumes, actually, that you have bad taste. Yeah. The internet is pretty sure that I'm wavering between two of these disgusting styles, and I'm just waiting for someone to show me the right ad so that I'll pick one. <laughs> so then that's what they did. They showed me ads. Every time I logged into Facebook for a, a straight week, they would pop up. And I was so scared because I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be sitting next to my boyfriend and I'm going to log on to Facebook and these sandals are going to come up and it's going to reopen the wound. And he's going to know that I was sending them to people asking for an opinion. Did you change your behavior when you were hanging out with him? Yeah. Like if we were loafing around, I would open so many tabs and none of them would be Facebook. <laughs> This is a really funny story. What does it make you think about? It made me wish that I could go back to the days where Facebook was just showing me things that I wanted to buy and not things that I wanted to run away from. Yeah. They look like cockroaches and they act like cockroaches. They will be there for the rest of my life, I think. But maybe when you're like 68, the sandals will be cool. And you'll no. be like, finally, and then you'll click on them and buy them. And the, it'll be this beautiful moment where the technology finally met Mm-mm. you at the right time in in space time. No, no, those sandals will never be cool. Never, ever. Since we talked, Molly and her boyfriend have broken things off. Those ads for sandals weren't the cause. Neither were the ads for the engagement rings. But it's still going to be a while before Molly clicks to buy. You can find Molly's stuff at techinsider.io. Eligible bachelors with bad taste in shoes need not apply. Mm-hmm. 
While the advertising that comes from data tracking can feel like a petty annoyance, even a humorous one, it can also raise serious concerns about how we'll consume in the future. The way we often hear it described as targeted advertising, this has been happening forever, but we've moved far beyond the beer ad at the ballpark. Cookies, super cookies, and other tools to track our data and our behavior are giving companies an incredibly detailed view of who we are. Advertisers and the companies they pay for access like to say this makes advertising more relevant. But there's another way to look at it. Data discrimination. Predatory advertising. And researchers are trying to keep up. I visited a group at Columbia University's computer science department. Hi, my name is Roxana Jambasha, and I'm an assistant professor at Columbia University. Roxana works with Daniel Sue and Augustine Chantreau on a tool they're calling Sunlight. So this tool that we built reveals how personal information, such as, you know, uh, emails or uh, searches or locations, are being used in order to target us in various ways. For example, to target advertisements at us or prices or recommendations. Okay. Um, and the reason why this is important uh, is that today, you know, the web is an extremely complex and pretty black box system. And when you say black box, that's part of the fact that we don't know how they're using it. Exactly. We don't know, you know, who has what data, for what purposes they're using it, whether those uses are good or bad for us. Uh-huh. We, cannot, we cannot tell how the data is being used, and hence we cannot make informed decisions about the services that we use. These researchers say that there are companies that don't even really have names, or at least corporate identities, that customers could try to hold accountable. And these companies just deal in getting information about you and selling it to others. The researchers in Columbia's computer science department have set up a large number of fake email accounts to try and reverse engineer how some of this data tracking and advertising works. They sent a bunch of fake email from these accounts, email with certain keywords. And keywords included things like various diseases, uh, being depressed. Um, and these fake other... users sound like they're having a tough time. They've got diseases, <laughs> yes, they're depressed. It's a tough line to walk between effective advertising and policies that try to avoid certain practices that feel pretty icky. Targeting has been around for for ages, but such personalized targeting that leverages so much information that, you know, these services know about us, right? Our emails, our uh, searches, uh, you know, the sites that we visit, our locations. That information is being used to personalize ads and and uh, uh, target them specifically at you know very very narrow groups of, of uh, populations okay what's wrong with that um, it's not necessarily wrong in it of itself right it, there are you know benefits of that right targeting can become much more effective with very low budget sure right? what could be wrong is when for example you might have predatory advertising right like you know let's say a casino right that targets uh, people who are depressed or who express that they are, have gambling problems in their personal emails Right, <laughs> and then then they target them, for example, with you know various even more risky, more risky. But behaviors. that's still effective advertising, right? So it's kind of a tough line to draw, right? So it could be effective, but the question is, and this is you know this is the question that we ask: is is it moral, right? And it's not for us to judge that, you know, as as computer scientists. But what we want to open is we want to create you know this infrastructure to reveal that because right now we are not aware of how we're being targeted. In one example, Roxana and her colleagues sent emails among their fake accounts about being depressed, and they were served advertisements about cheating spouses. Is that against Google's policy? Um, we don't, 
What we can claim is that, you know, we found examples of ads that contradict what our own reading of that and interpretation of that particular policy. But it's up to, you know, to uh, uh, investigators, right, and Google itself to decide whether or not, you know, it's okay with the kinds of advertising that we found. So the web is gigantic, it's big. What scares me is what I don't know. Uh, about the web and how the data is being used. Many of these uses that we've just discussed, right, we revealed uses at the finer grain, but we kind of knew that ads were targeted against, against emails. Where else is data from, from, from our uh, online activities being used? Codebreaker will be back in just a moment. Stay tuned. Evil or not evil? Uh, I like to say it's not evil. Yeah, they're watching us all. <laughs> Where, yeah, like you're watching, watching us all. Right yeah, now. they're watching. Yeah, it's definitely evil. Yeah, definitely. It's actually really helpful for us. If you choose to have, you know, any kind of technology, it kind of comes with it. Mike Say lives in small town Lindenhurst, Illinois. He's a pretty typical dad. Um, I have five children, a wife, and two dogs, and a couple of cats. In the winter of 2013, he suffered something that no parent should suffer, and every parent fears. He lost his daughter in a car accident. About a year later, that piece of information resurfaced in a really callous way. It eventually ended up on Mike's doorstep. I asked him to tell me about Ashley, his daughter. Oh, Ashley was the heart of the household. She was the, our queen, queen bee we called her. She was, uh, made the house alive. She was very loud and made it what it was. My house is pretty quiet now. When she passed, how did the the household change? Oh, everything changed. My wife no longer drives from that day on. I, I can drive her with me when we go to see Ashley, and now I've got her finally going to the grocery store with me. Otherwise, she stays home. Tell me about this letter you got in the mail. Oh, from Office Mix. Okay. I uh, came home from work one day, and my wife was in the kitchen, standing by the counter, and she was all upset. And I'm like, hon, what's wrong? You know, what happened? Um, and she showed me the letter. And I said, you know, okay. I said, calm down. I'll take care of it. I'll call him and tell him not to you know, send any of these anymore. So I called him. And... Uh, Nothing happened after that point for quite a while until it was until the media got a hold of it. Then finally the CEO called and apologized and told me that they were looking into it, trying to figure out what happened, how it could happen, and correct it. Can you tell me what the letter said on it that was so upsetting? Sure. It was my full name on top. And then right under my name it says, daughter killed in car crash, and then and or business, and then my address. 
All I wanted to know was what was going on and why they had that. What purpose do you need it for, and what are you using it for? And you were uh, you were you a regular it. customer of Office Max? No, no, I was uh, you know two or three times a year, if that. Did it ever become clear to you how this happened and and why it happened? Why they would have this kind of information about you? It did during in the middle of the of the time that we were uh, going through this. I got a call from a CEO from another company. You know, he caught me off guard because he started talking to me and saying it could have come from them, and they're not sure if it did or didn't. I said, at that point, you know, I don't want your apology now. I want your apology after it's found out who where it came from. I didn't want to get apologies from people who I don't know and don't know if they're tied to it or not. What company was this person the CEO of? He's a CEO from Things Remembered. That's where you would get like uh, frames, picture frames and stuff for like weddings. And why did he think it might have come from his company? You know, at first I didn't quite understand how he even was involved. And then later on it was explained to me that I went into a, into a Things Remembered and bought a, some picture frames. And the woman that took my order had wrote this information you know, not asking, just wrote it down for her purpose is what he said. And, but it was put into a database. And this is a separate company from Office Max? Correct. The picture frames I was, was buying was for my children. In the bottom, it, it had Ashley's name and her birth and death date and that she loved them. And You know what I mean? Sure. That's how she... The conversation came about that, what is this for? And she took, you know, the information that would go on the bottom and put that, you know, and whatever to get it stamped. But that had nothing to, it didn't say killed in car crash, none of that. That was all on her own. And this is a totally separate company from Office Max, and somehow Office Max got the information. They bought the information from a data group. So that information was sold from things remembered to a data group that collects data and then taken and sold to Office Max. And then Office Max used it without looking at it. It's really no different than, like, say, if you look at a, a hacker hacking your computer, taking your information and then selling it. The only difference is with data mining is that the government allows it and it's a billion, billions and billions of dollars a year industry of data mining. Did this thing that happened change the way that you or, or your, your wife or anybody in your family behaves when it, comes to, when it comes to how you think about the information that you're giving to people? Absolutely. In fact, I've talked to all my children and tried to explain how this all works and to be very careful, don't ever... Uh, give too much information out to any anybody in, in the retail market because most likely it's going to end up out there somewhere being bought. And once it's out there, there's no way to you know get it back because it gets sold over and over daily. And these companies all make money selling it back and forth. I'm sure Things Remembered sold it to the data company and made money. Then the data company sold it to 
to Office Max, and then Office Max is, I'm sure, sold it to someone else. It, you know, it's just how it works. You know, for them to get new customers and all of that, that's where they're buying it from. They wouldn't be able to mail all these mailing things out if they didn't have these uh, outlets for them to search and find certain kinds of people they're looking for to, to sell to. If you could actually provide a different set of data, what would that information be? What would that data be? That uh, It would be about my daughter. It would be that she was a, a wonderful child. We all have children and understand how much you look at them and watch them grow. And, and when you get the knock on the door and they're gone, it's a crushing blow. Mike Say, thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you. We reached out to both Office Max and Things Remembered for comment. Neither replied. Mike's feelings about how data on him is being tracked and sold and pushed around the internet are completely justified. What he suffered feels like a very real result of our commercial world committing an act of evil. But there are examples of data being used to fight for good. Social network posts give early warnings in disasters or help public health workers track the outbreak of a disease. Emily Kennedy likes to say that you never know what your work might lead to. When she was at Carnegie Mellon University, she started looking at how personal ads could help give law enforcement clues about human trafficking and minors who are being forced into sex work. Detectives already have a lot on their crime-solving plates. In the massive wash of data that is the Internet, Emily says a detective's sifting gets way harder. Thinking about technology... I don't think it's evil in and of itself, but it's empowered the work that these exploiters do. And I'd also seen how law enforcement had fallen behind because they have these huge caseloads, a lot of data too. And a lot of data is not always a good thing if you aren't able to make useful intelligence out of it. And so that's the problem that we wanted to solve. You start to solve it by understanding what to look for. So she showed me how this stuff can work on the personal listings of Craigslist, where prostitution can be advertised with the help of certain code words for payment. I can show you this this ad I found if you want to jump right to that. They'll say, you know, 100 roses for an hour or something like that. So this is part of the masking language, and there's a lot of terms that uh, occur in this space where it's, you know, euphemisms for things, as you can imagine. So um, I went into the men for women section, and then I just, in this search bar, I typed in roses. Here's one ad that I found. Um, And not only does this dom slash daddy say he'll give 500 roses for two hours, but he says if you're petite, 4'11 or shorter, and 100 pounds or less. So that's, you know. Uh, when we're looking at these ads, it's never a case of, oh, 100%. You know, I know this is someone who's being trafficked. Sure, um, but you're taking in contextual data and sort of trying to make a guess here. Exactly. Or at least narrow the amount of data that a detective's working from. What would a detective potentially do with this ad? 
So if he thought it was a um, potential victim, he had most likely set up a date, uh, see if he could meet the victim in person and try to assess whether or not that person might be underage uh, and then and then go from there. Emily's research has now been turned into a company called Marinus Analytics. They use big data analysis to make it easier for detectives to do their sifting. She's already had some success. Essentially, our software traffic jam was used to track this guy who was uh, pimping minors for sex and turns out that he was an unregistered sex offender. An unregistered sex offender? Yes. How does that work? He had been, um, so he raped a girl in one state and was supposed to register as a sex offender, but instead of registering, he fled to another state. This particular guy was moving from state to state. He was using fake identities and law enforcement didn't know his real name. He was pimping several minors. I believe he had been running from law enforcement for over 10 years, basically, um, throughout all of these things he had been doing. 10 years? Yeah, I think that was like from the start of his sex offender-ish status. Emily was able to track this guy's data and help the detective on the case chase him down. Recently, the detective basically set out, set out the call to state troopers and had a watch out for this guy, and they were able to successfully arrest him. Emily says the Internet does make things more difficult for law enforcement to keep up. But in the right light, the data can be a good thing. The data is vast, and the data has huge amounts of potential for making a huge difference. But I think the problem is more in applications. So... Um, Because theoretically, you know, if you had all the information in the world, you could make amazing connections. But it's more about how do we how do we get the data? How do we um, connect those fragmented pieces of data? That sort of thing. Emily hopes to stay on the cutting edge of that. Marinus Analytics says it's contributed to the rescue of 120 victims. Well, we've had a lot of data input, and we've tried to track it, so now it's time to decide whether that tracking is evil. John Strickland is the host of the Tech Stuff podcast from HowStuffWorks.com. John, what do you say? Well, you know, I I like to quote Hamlet, who says, There is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. I like to think that tools themselves are neither good nor evil, tis merely what purpose we set them to (laughs) that determines it. But uh, I got to be completely honest with you. When it comes to data tracking, I I think the capacity for someone to misuse that is so great that effectively I have to come down on the evil side. Yes, we're in agreement. Yes. So let's talk specifically about the data tracking stuff. (sighs) Well, uh, the tragic tale of the man who lost his daughter in a car crash yeah. and then receives the letter from Office Max. I mean, it's absolutely uh, one of the saddest stories I've heard in this realm. And it reminds me of a few others I've heard as well. There's the the father who received information from Target that indicated that his daughter was pregnant. Yes. That's why I side on the evil side, right? That Those stories, clearly no one in charge was making a 
decision, a conscious decision to act upon those pieces of information. This was all largely automated, driven by a massive big data kind of approach that in the ideal sense makes our lives easy and seamless. And we have this amazing reality around us that is catered to our needs and our wants and our desires. But the reality is it's a lot messier than that. There's, of course, another side of this, right? There's the Emily Kennedy sure. side. This stuff can really be used for good. Yes. If we talk about right now, today, this is something that has got far more capacity to do damage than good. I'm hopeful that in the future we will have policies in place as well as just a general attitude toward data tracking that will move this closer to the good side. So. I, I almost want to qualify my answer by saying evil for now with the hope that it will eventually be good-ish because there are plenty of great reasons to use data tracking and not just for people but for everything. I mean, that's what big data is all about. We can be hopeful for the future, you and I. I, I find that optimism is my go-to philosophy, but <laughs> I always tell people that optimism But you're optimism also quoting to me, Hamlet, so, you know. Yeah, well, you know... You know, Hamlet. Hamlet's saying that there's nothing really good or bad. You just until you start thinking about it. Uh, I am I, optimistic in the sense that I think it's important to acknowledge obstacles, hurdles, challenges that are in the way. Sure. If you don't do that, then you're being naive. Yeah. But you can still be optimistic and say we've got big problems. I'm glad that we can, even if we identify the evil now, we can be optimistic for the future, you and I. Jonathan Strickland, the host of the Tech Stuff podcast. Jonathan, thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Well, this will be the last code of our last episode of season one. What will it unlock? Well, haven't you been wondering about season two? More information on that when you unlock it. You've heard of Marketplace, so you've probably heard this phrase. Let's do the numbers. Let's do the numbers. And you can probably guess this, but one of the best ways to track a person's data is through their phones. So let's do the numbers a little differently and track the data with our phones. 23-63-63-52-43-32-74. Once you get it, you can input your code at the website codebreaker.codes. Also, if you've made it this far with cracking the codes, you should email us at codebreaker1971 at gmail.com. We want to talk to you. Our show is produced by Claire Tennisketter, edited by Dave Shaw. Very special thanks to Dan Bobkoff and Betsy Streisand. Also, this season wouldn't have been possible without the hard work of a long list of people. Deborah Clark, Mark Miller, Steve Nelson, Tina Admans, Jenny Hadfield, Jake Gorski, Katie Long, Paul Brent, Nishat Kerwa, Alan Cohn, Brett Rogers, and Meg Kramer. Also, big ups to Ghostly, the label of Mux Mool, who wrote our theme song, Raw Gore. Codebreaker is made in partnership with the nice folks at the website techinsider.io. You should go there, read, watch, listen to our stories and more. Just don't believe what they say about us. They remind me of a, a dad who gets all of his clothes at the museum gift shop. I'm Ben Brock Johnson. Codebreaker is a marketplace production from APM. APM.